0: this league podcast network presents prospect one the fantasy prospect podcast prospect one with your host chris welsh
1: this is the prospect podcast prospect one i'm your host chris welsh you can find me on twitter at is it the welsh yes that is the full name No question mark needed, though it's kind of implied. And you can find everything I have going on over at InThisLeague.com as well as my cohort, Scott Bogman. We've got podcasts in all sports. We've got this one, college football, basketball, football, baseball. As a matter of fact, we just did our 100th episode of the the fantasy baseball podcast. We're obviously talking about uh, some of the major stuff. And we were live from the Arizona Fall League All Star Game, the Fall Stars Game, with a bunch of the best in the industry from Fangraphs, guys from ESPN, uh, National Writers, bunch of players there. Orlando Hudson was there. I uh, was standing next to them. So if you haven't had a chance, go back and listen to it. It's a unique episode we did, uh, number one hundred, with uh, Steve Gardner from USA Today, Paul Sporer, Sammy Reed from Baseballaholics, and one of the guys who's going to be joining me in this episode, Enosaurus, Enosaurus uh, from Fangraphs. They call him the Stat. guy. Guy. I think it was uh, that's what major league players call him the stat guy famous with the grips famous with the beer and famous famously very funny if you ever get to spend some time with him I spent pretty much the whole game me and him talking about prospects and occasional beer and whatnot but he is going to be joining me on this episode as this is this is kind of a two-parter that I'm going to be doing. And it's all going to be revolved around the Arizona Fall League. As you know, I'm out here in Arizona, so I'm uh, privy to all of this excitement without having to travel. And I've gone to a bunch of games, and I've done a bunch of scouting. If you follow me on Twitter, you see me put out some videos, you see me put out pictures, I've got to interact with some of the players. It's been a really cool and unique experience, and I've done other things. I... You know, I try to do the full spectrum of it. This is a fantasy podcast. And like I've told you guys before, I'm not out here trying to be a number one scout. You know, I'm not trying to vie for Keith Law or Jonathan Mayo or anybody's job like that because that's just not going to happen. But what I am doing is I am going to rank prospects from their fantasy value. And there's multiple ways to do that, not just from the potential of the player, but where you're drafting players, what type of trade value they have. So we're really focusing on the fantasy end of it so just like that just like how we're doing it with this podcast I also kind of take some of those things into going through these experiences of not just okay I'm gonna go and I'm gonna scout a player but I like to watch like who's in the stands what are what are players doing how do the players interact in the clubhouse um, how do they interact with fans you know, the I told you in the last episode being around some of the autograph people is really fascinating from the people that are making a business out of it to the people that are just wanting to experience some of these players and how the players reacted. To me, it's a total side thing to what you might be listening to this podcast for. For fantasy information, I'm really intrigued by it. So occasionally, I am going to throw some of that at you guys. And that's going to happen in this episode because almost every single game had some unique experiences with players, whether I saw them or it was myself or anything like that. So in the first part of the episode... I'm going to break down the games that I saw and uh, not go heavy into the prospect ranking themselves, but just, you know, per game, who, who shined, who didn't, what did I think of this guy? I saw guys over multiple games and it's five games, four regular games in the all-star game. The second half of the episode, I'm going to talk with Eno about the Fall Stars game that we attended together, and uh, he was able to talk some players before and after. He's going to give you some insight into that. This episode is strictly going to be an Arizona Fall League review of the prospects that are here. We're not going to be talking a whole bunch more outside of it, though, on the onset here, I do want to talk about the the big international signing that just happened. But before I do anything, this is not uncommon for me, especially if you followed me over time, a slip of the tongue on pronunciation can escape me. And like I would hope a great listener of mine pointed out, like, a couple couple of guys might want to work on the pronunciation of. So I was like, you're right. I need to make sure that I'm on that. So in due fashion, let's stat correct. Do you?
0: So oh, stupid. That's right. Now, say my name.
1: And by stat correct, I mean let's name correct. We're going to call it stat correcting for fun here. There are two names in the last episode that I butchered.
0: Struggling.
1: You know, what can you do? Also, we I do a lot of different fantasy sports, and it is really interesting, the pronunciation games you start to play when you do basketball to baseball to football. But the two prospects' names that I butchered, so let's get it right. We're going to learn y'all some here, because I know you guys are looking at a lot of these names, and that's one of the biggest things until you start hearing it on a regular basis. You're going to look at a player's name, and you're going to be like, it's it's that, right? So those things are going to get stuck in your brain when you see a player, and, and your brain tells you it's it's said one way, and then it ends up not being that way. So let's do the stat correction. Stat correct number one, as I called him James Caprillion, I think I called James, the uh, New York Yankees pitching prospect, who I really liked watching. We talk about him in a little bit, but it is James Caprillion. That is how we say it, Caprillion. Say it with me. James Caprillian, Number two, oh, I butchered this one. Friends, I said Francisco Mejia because that's how it looks. <laughs> but uh, he is the, uh, the pretty famous Cleveland catcher prospect that had that amazing hit streak this year. And everyone was talking about, but it is Mejia. Francisco Mejia. So uh, say that with me, Francisco Mejia. Those are your stat corrections. I'm always going to listen, especially when I butcher ones like that. And it was uh, it was brought to my attention. I'm like, I do need to correct that. So thank you very much. So there's our little stat correction. Oh, those pesky names. The bane of my existence, uh, which actually takes us to the guy that's in the news right now. In this episode, I'm going to give you previews on the next two episodes we're going to be doing. You want to find out what episode three is about? Listen into the back end of this podcast, and I will tell you I've got a killer guest, and it's going to be a really cool second parter to this Arizona Fall League episode we're doing right here. But in episode four, I have an international prospect podcast, and I'm joined by two guests MLB.com's Jesse Sanchez, one of the best in the business, and then Fangraphs' own, who actually lives out here, Eric Longenhagen. He is going to join me to talk about a bunch of the actual prospects and their rankings, and we're going to talk about this player right here who signed a seven. Year, $22 million contract, one of the hottest names on the international market, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., younger brother of Yulieski, who Yulieski signed with the Houston Astros last season, and uh, he got a bigger contract, which actually, some people are kind of skeptical about this contract, because Yulieski got, uh, it was essentially a four and a half year deal for $47.5 million. Now he is 31 years old. Guriel is 23. Reason he's finally signed 23. He passed the uh, age 23 where you're not susceptible to the international signing requirements, uh, cash, you know, cash money. It's actually going to lead to this other portion here of talking about one of the biggest names in the international market that's going to affect him, but he's 23 year old. So he is, uh, he's open market, free to sign. But Lourdes Guriel signed a seven year twenty two million dollar deal and that's a lot lower than the majority of other the highly touted prospects. I mean, there's Monty Tomas. I, I, off the top of my head, I, I don't have it. I think it's, it's like six years, 40 million, something like that. His, his older brother, who's 31 years old, got more than double and less years on it. Though we don't have the contract information, they are saying that one of the things that could have been put in this contract, which would make sense why it's a lower amount, is that he would be allowed to opt into arbitration once he's first eligible. So, you know, that could change the whole game why he signed the seven year? But there's also there's also some comparisons out there when you're looking at Lourdes. That I, I've I've seen one that's been floated around. Sean Rodriguez, you know that's not a good one. Played with the uh, the Angels most recently with the Pirates. Served as a first baseman. Kind of played all over the field. And that's kind of what people are looking at with Guriel. I mean, he was uh, he was a little. Was a little raw under the tooth when he was younger, but I mean, this is a young guy who's been progressively moving up. Most recently, hit three twenty-one with eight homers, thirty-two RBIs, and forty-three games for the Havana Industrials. Try to say that a whole bunch of times. Doesn't look like there's a whole bunch of power. He's got this body that looks like you would like. It looks like more muscle could be packed on, but I don't think that's the case because he's twenty-three years old. This isn't a nineteen or eighteen-year-old that we're looking at. I think we're looking at a lot of who this player is, which in my personal opinion, and that's why I'm going to be doing an international prospect podcast to talk about him, talk about Shohei Otani, as well as what's going on with the international draft is because uh, these guys are, you know, these guys have actually seen them. They've scouted way more than I have. But I look at this guy. I see a max 15 home run hitter. I would be surprised if he's a three hundred hitter in the major leagues. I think his his brother might actually be uh, better, but the seven years allows development, and that's what I like about this. Maybe he spends the entire year next year uh, in the minor league system, and then he can come up the following year. Though there are some holes, you know, the Blue Jays have uh, they made some moves, and uh, and Lourdes could play all, all over the board. I think he's playing second base. Uh, With the Havana Industrials, he can play short, could potentially play first, or any of the outfield positions, so he's going to have flexibility. That's why the Sean Rodriguez comparisons are sitting out there. But when we're looking at him in fantasy... There's so many unknowns with these guys. We immediately go to our happy place of thinking of like, oh, remember, you know, Cespedes and Puig. And I don't think this is that type of player. I think I think the upside may might be bigger than Sean Rodriguez, and he's going to be a guy that's going to be worth drafting. But when we look at the, um, you know, let's say you have a, your 2017 draft where you're drafting the, the draft-eligible players from last year as well as the, you know, the late July 2nd guys like this, and you're putting together the this year draft for your dynasty, I question if Lourdes is going to be a first-rounder and if he is, he's a late first rounder at this point. Um, but, you know, again, we're going to find out. I'm going to be doing a full international prospect, Jesse Sanchez, Eric Longenhagen from handcrafts, Jesse from MLB.com. Going to be a killer episode. I'm really looking forward to it. That is two episodes from now uh, with Jim Callis joining me in the next one. And like I said, we're also going to cover Shohei Otani, which I think I nailed that name, who he is, if you haven't heard of him, he's this mythical baseball player right now who can hit 100 on the radar gun. And he literally hit a homer out of a stadium. He hit it like over the top. He hit the top and it went out. So he is an incredibly exciting prospect. But like I was alluding to, the problem with him and why, and a lot of this is reported from Baseball America. They did a really good, Ben Badler did a really good job about this, saying that the international signing is 23 years or older with five years of some type of uh, you know pro service. And he meets both of those requirements next year. Otherwise, he is going to he's going to have to meet international signing requirements, which would be so much less money and potentially also would really the team right now there's this weird thing with the team having to have a full posting a full one hundred percent posting on the contract to the team so all of that what all that means he's not coming over this year, but I do want to get a scouting report on him because get ahead of the game and think towards two thousand and eighteen. This will be the number one guy. Otani will be the number one player taken uh, in your dynasty leagues when you're just redrafting the players. And um, I don't know if like he's going to have that Darvish hype. He's going to have crazy, crazy hype. And uh, he could be a two-way player. He DHs three days a week out there. He's the best hitter on the team. He's the best pitcher. It's incredible international stuff. I know we're going crazy here. So we've set the table for the next couple episodes uh, so you guys can kind of sit in, dial into this one, InThisLeague.com, that's where you can check out everything that I or my partner Scott Bogman have going on with all of the podcasts and all of the shows we do is it the welsh is my twitter handle if you want to follow me you want to ask me questions and if you want to help support what we're doing at in this league we're a completely independent operation that's how we roll you can do that if you go to inthisleague.com and click on our itl army or go to patreon.com itl army this is an insider program where we are giving perks but at the end of the day you are helping us be able to make more of this great content like i'm doing like today And uh, I've also got, I'm going to have my top 300 minor league, fantasy minor league ranks updated here shortly. And then as the season goes, I'll be doing, you know, the top draft eligible guys for coming into 2017. And we'll be doing a bunch of other really cool episodes. It's just a way, if you would like to, if that's in your uh, wheelhouse, you want to support what we're doing, let us do bigger, better things. You can have the access to that, and then lastly, I think what I'm going to be doing here, I am going to take some listener questions. When we get in season, formats are going to change of what I'm doing for in season stuff. Definitely going to be heavy listener questions. That's what I'm going to be looking for. If uh, you know, if, if you want or have questions, let me know, and I'll start placing them into episodes. But on the back end of episodes, kind of like I've alluded to, I wanna I wanna put some different unique stuff. If uh, if you if you want to talk about, I don't know, some crazy awesome piece of memorabilia, a prospect that you met. You know, a story of a prospect, anything like that. I am, I'm just into that stuff. You know, that, that's why I was so enthralled at the Arizona Fall League, just kind of seeing and soaking in all the experiences. If you, Have some stories you want to talk about, like I said, you know, weird situations with players or great ones or anything like that unique Uh, you want to, you know, highlight. I've told you before I'd love to know like some awesome piece of memorabilia you have, but I'm going to cover maybe a little bit of that on the back end of some of these future episodes until we get into more of a structure. Love your feedback. Please go find us on iTunes. Subscribe. Give me a rate and review. That really helps the show. We're up on TuneIn. We're up on all the podcast aggregators for whatever reason. Stitcher just hates me right now. I'm trying to work on it, and I hope to get it up on iHeart pretty shortly. So subscribe. Rate and review. Deeply, deeply appreciate it. Uh, But let's get into this. I want to set the stage here for the games, and then we're going to review some of these, and we're going to go talk to Eno. Alright, well, it's time to take a little trip around Arizona. You've never been here. We're going to take a little trip around to the Arizona Fall League. Even though, you know, pretty incredible. I just realized this. I, I, every single game was at the Suaros uh, Stadium, the Surprise Stadium, uh, just because I guess it was close to my house. And every time I went to go set up, except for the Champions game, which, as I'm reporting this to you, that's the last game of the Arizona Fall League. We'll cover that because we're going to cover all the major stats and uh, the you know the big ups and downs of players in the next episode, the one with Jim Callis here. But I'm going to take you around a trip around the five games that I saw. And I saw four solo games and then the all-star, the fall-star game, where you really were privy to some of the best. As well, I want you to know, um, we I post this on the website inthisleague.com, this episode, as an article page. And I put a bunch of content up on this episode's article page. Pictures from every single game I took Uh, you can go through you can kind of peruse and just see I didn't put every single picture I've got tons of video I'm going to try to compile that a little bit later maybe into something on our YouTube page. But if you want to go take a look, you're going to get at least two to three pictures, some more of every single game, and you're going to get a little breakdown of that on the article page of this episode. So you can go check that out, including some of the unique stuff that happened, which I took pictures of. So before we take you through this ride of uh, of these games, I do want to set you up with uh, understanding, because maybe you're not 100% familiar with how this looks and what the Arizona Fall League is all about. So there are six teams with representatives from each team. So there are five players represented per team. So you know, take, for instance, the Surprise, Saworos! You had the Red Sox, the Royals, the Twins, the Pirates, and the Rangers all scooped up. All their prospects on that team laid out here. So you've got the Glendale Desert Dogs, which were the White Sox, the Astros, the Dodgers, the Cardinals, and the Nationals. And you had, you know, you had some decent prospects there. You had Harrison Bader, Courtney Hawkins, the Peoria Javelinas, which is the Orioles, the uh the Reds, the Padres, the Mariners, and Tampa Bay. You had Tyler O'Neill sitting over there, DJ Stewart. Michael Geddes, uh, some decent prospects there. The Scottsdale Scorpions, which is the Angels, the Mets, the Yankees, the Phillies, and the Giants. You had James Caprillion, you had Tim Tebow, Tyler Ward, you had some decent guys. Mesa, Solar Sox, had the Cubs, the Indians, the Marlins, the A's, and the Blue Jays. I mean, they were stacked. Zimmer, Eloy Jimenez, Ian Happ, uh, they're completely stacked. Anthony Alford, Salt River Rafters had the Diamondbacks, the Braves, the Rockies, the the Detroit Tigers and the Milwaukee Brewers, which you have Asan Diaz, Christian Stewart, Doel Lugo with the Diamondbacks, Travis Dermott from the Braves. So you had some good guys there. And then the surprise Saguaros, which was the Boston Red Sox, the Kansas City Royals, the Twins, the Pirates, and the Rangers. And, uh, you know, Johan Yo- Moncada was there for a bit. I saw him in the very first game we're going to talk about. But you also had Michael Kopech, uh, Andy Abanez. You had some you had some pretty good guys there. So that's the layout of the teams that are represented. We're going to skip the All-Star game for the last one because we're going to talk to Eno about that. But let's go to game number one. Game one. Fioria Javelinas versus the Surprise Saguaro's. This game was October 20th, and I was actually joined by Scott, uh, my fellow cohort at InThisLeague.com. We actually even did an episode uh, for the baseball podcast, episode 99, out in left field. And it was pretty funny because DJ Stewart was out there, and he was just kind of like looking, and Escalara from the Royals kind of looked up. We kind of did some head nods. We got some head nods back, and we just did an episode out there. It was pretty cool. It's a unique experience. But this game saw the pitching matchup of uh, Seth Varner versus Brett Martin. Brett Martin with the Texas Rangers, Seth Varner with the Cincinnati Reds. wasn't a super awesome pitch matchup but we had prospects of the like of Michael Geddes DJ Stewart Tyler O'Neill Justin Williams Drew Jackson was there those are all for Peoria on the surprise side we had uh, Tanner English with the twins Nick Gordon was the big guy you're looking at Ryan O'Hearn with the Royals Andy Abanias who I was very excited about and Eric Wood who really does end up getting a lot of run at the end of this thing so the notes that I had I just want you to know about this was the the shortstops were the big deal here I was really excited to to watch the shortstop so I mean I got there early I was kind of you know Know, checking out the players, seeing what was going on. I was really disappointed Johan Moncada wasn't in the lineup. He did come out, and I was actually kind of standing over This is a really unique game of getting to kind of get some access to these guys because it wasn't too far into the fall league. But some of the players were, there was already still some like, like some were still good, some were jaded. What I mean by that is so like Michael Kopach came out and I was actually able to talk with him, took a picture with him, chatted with him for a couple minutes. He was chatting with another PR guy. He was really loose, really nice guy. Uh, He just, you know, he was cool. He was I mean, it wasn't like over crazy or anything like that, but couldn't have been better with the fans, took time for every single fan. I asked him about just how the whole process was going. He said he was learning a lot. He felt like he was improving every day. And it was just, you know, it was a good interaction. Nick Gordon comes out zero, zero for the fans. He had nothing. He just kind of walked. People were, oh, Nick Nick. Nick. Nope, not having any of it. Yoan Moncada came out. He's actually wearing one of those over jackets to cover up his jersey, but we knew who he was. Nothing for the fans. So, you know, it was just really interesting, the the dynamic. Andy Abanez came out. I also got to talk with him for a couple moments. I really love Andy Abanez. When you see my ranks, you'll see that I've been on him for over a year, and uh, he was a super nice guy, took a lot of time out for people, was more than willing to just pop up and say hi. Talk to Kopech. Talk to Banez. Nick Gordon. Yoa Moncada not giving any time of the day for anybody. But the notes in the games, though. So once we got into it, I was excited about the shortstop play. Nick Gordon versus Drew Jackson. And surprisingly, it didn't go as I kind of thought it was. I was... Really unimpressed with Nick Gordon. He made a really bad play. He had a swing where he lost the bat and it just flew out of his hands. Struck out. Had a really bad la- He had multiple bad throws and a lazy throw that got Tyler O'Neill on. And then Tyler O'Neill stole second and he had a lazy tag. He just didn't even try. He was just. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't what I was expecting. And I came. I came away with a bad taste in my mouth with Nick Gordon. He had two strikeouts in the game. He was one for five. You know, though he. Throughout Arizona Fall League, he was getting hits. I just wasn't seeing a lot of him. He also got caught on a stolen base. What I took away from it is he didn't seem to be into it he didn't seem to be into being there and that was became very apparent to me Drew Jackson on the other hand was incredible amazing defense he made two highlight reel plays very exciting to see but he was batting ninth, and his bat wasn't there and that's going to be a problem when you're looking at him and that's where you have to weed through like you look at this guy, his defense will get him to the maj- to the majors and I wouldn't be surprised if Drew Jackson is competing for the shortstop job this year, He his glove plays but I don't think his bat does and you put him in a place in Seattle where the power is zapped or there's already not a ton and if his bat's questionable I actually like I liken Drew Jackson to Nick Ahmed if uh, that's not a good you know that's not a good comparison but it can get you to the majors it's just not a guy that I may be targeting Uh, Tyler O'Neill I think I came in with too much of an expectation on him because I wasn't overly excited about his bat. But he had tons and tons of hustle. He was the, uh, he was the anti-Nick Gordon in this game. He did have a hit with it for an RBI, which was nice, but it was shadowed by three strikeouts. He beat out that double play that Nick Gordon couldn't double him up. And uh, then he stole the base, which he should have been tagged out on. But he's just, he's all hustle. He's a guy who's just nothing but hustle. The last couple ones here, Justin Williams, uh, Diamondback, former Diamondback outfielder who uh, went to Tampa Bay, and that was in the uh, Jeremy Hellickson trade. Uh, he, he's kind of an excited guy. I got, actually, that was the very, very first person I spoke to when I got there. And uh, he was kind of getting hounded, and I was just kind of like, well, you know, good luck trying to get into the game. And he just laughed about it, and, and everyone was just excited to see him. He had a really hot, hot start but um, it's no wonder the outcome of where he ended towards the back end of of the Fall League, where it's a really low average, high strikeouts, because that's his game. He has a huge, big old swing that... This, the majors are going to eat up, but uh, as long as, if he can make that a little bit more, you know, a little bit more impact, or he can just get more contact on the ball, he's going to thrive. But it's going to be a little tough for him, you know. So this is you're probably looking at like a one of those two forty outfielders. I could see, I could see Justin Williams hitting twenty homers in the majors, but I couldn't see him hitting like over two fifty. So we'll have to see where that is. And then uh, the running theme of a player that is just overly impressed. And he was impressive in this game. Was Eric Wood? Eric Wood was uh, two for three with three runs plus two walks in the game, and he is just he didn't, he's a nothing but hit in the entire Arizona Fall League. And he was the most impressive person on the field today. And that's uh, you know there's a lot going for the players that are out there. Tyler O'Neill, DJ Stewart got a hit in a couple runs. Michael Geddes has had a really bad fall league, but this game was was uh, it was pretty decent for him. Andy Abania's got a hit as well, but. Eric Wood was the stud of this game. Not much to talk about on the pitching side. Nothing you, for you to get excited about, except uh, Diego Castillo I was I was really excited about because he hit 100, 98, 99, 100. Uh, but then he ended up blowing the save, and he got the win because Andy Abanez got a hit on him because his flat his fastball flattened out. But he hit 100, and that was nice to see. And Edgar Santana is pretty awesome. Uh, for the Pirates, he played for Surprise. He's a guy that we're going to be looking at in the future. Game number two two game two the Scottsdale scorpions versus the saguaros this is october 29th in surprise this was a matchup i was super excited about pitching matchup james Caprillion, who we talked about he was in marcus molina who was a string pitcher for the mets he got in a little bit of relief and dylan tate all for the Scottsdale scorpions pitched in this game tanner anderson for surprise with pittsburgh who i saw a couple times was Pretty impressive. Edgar Santana showed up again in Trey Ball. Those were your pitching matchups on this. As far as the hitters go, there was no Tebow. And this was, you. if you heard it when you listened to Mayo Talk, I, this is a Saturday, and I was like, "Where's Tebow?" I'm like, why isn't Tebow here? I just wanted to see it. I wanted to see what it was all about. None of it, and also no Glaber Torres. So I was like, "Okay, this is you know bummer, bummer game that I went to, but I really wanted to see Caprillion But we did get to see Greg Bird, Taylor Ward with the Angels was uh, in the lineup. Aaron Brown, and a really interesting guy who had just kind of been—I don't want to call him like a call-up because that's a weird thing to call here—but he was one of these like reserve guys. Champ Stewart with the Mets, pretty impressive, and he's been pretty impressive since he got uh, some time to come up. And I think he was actually there specifically for this whole Tebow thing. He had a pretty impressive game. And then, surprise, we got to see Nick Gordon again, Eric Wood back in the lineup, Mauricio Dubow, who uh, I'm excited to talk about, and Connor Joe all in the lineup. So the notes for this game, then I'll give you the stats, obviously was Caprillian, who I have some pictures of up on the article page here. He is the real deal. He was was, uh, no hit through two innings. His fastball was live. There was some movement on it early. He was hitting 95, 96. It was just popping. Uh, there was some late life on it. It was really, really fun to see. And his slider is unhittable. He What he was doing was he was, and you know these guys are working on things. He was using his fastball to set up the slider, and nobody could have any of it. But the problem that happened was in the third inning, he started losing the control on the fastball and the movement. So what these guys were doing is they're just not swinging at the slider and they were waiting for the fastball to come in and they would just, they just got he got hit. He got crushed. And uh, Mauricio Dubo in the third hit a homer, which was followed immediately up by Eric Wood. On the other side of the mound, Tanner Anderson with the Pirates was just, he looked really good, man. Really surprised. I could, I could see him as one of these guys that gets up. He's probably not more than a future like five starter or something like that. But I could see him pitching at some point next year with the Pirates. He's got this leg kick that looks almost, uh, it's not quite like Dontrell Willis, but it's this really high leg kick that comes out. But he had good command, gave up one run, he struck out four, got some ground balls. It was very exciting seeing him. Greg Bird with uh, with the Yankees, he was out there. This was one I was really dialed into, but he didn't look good. He was beat by Tanner for multiple strikeouts, had a big old loop and swing, kind of fell over on one of them. He was just trying to murder every single ball. And uh, he was beat and he did not like, I can see, I can see why he's the future first baseman for the Yankees. And I think the type of player he is plays better in New York, you know, I mean, like how many of those two fifty hitters who can hit 30 home runs of that team have is just like another incarnation of like Mark Teixeira, you know, it's like Brian McCann. So I can see where he can succeed at some point. I don't think he'll ever be a high average guy. Absolutely can see him hitting more than 25 homers. But I could also see him having more than 150 strikeouts, so just be aware of that. Eric Wood, look at again, like I said, he hit that bomb. I was impressed with Mauricio Dubo, who I mentioned, who as a prospect was a shortstop, but he was playing center field. He had a homer, he had a walk. I'm likening him, and this this may not be a fair comparison because of the expectation, but I'm liking I'm likening him to Christian Yelich, and uh, I just I think there's a physical similarity. He's a guy that needs to grow into his body. I. Do not think he will be a shortstop from everything I saw, but I think he's going to be able to hit. And if they put him in the outfield and they move him to another team, I think—I uh, don't know—in a couple of years, this could be like a Yellich type of guy. Tanner Ward—he had a nice double, was exciting to see him. And then Nick Gordon—defense was better. He had a good at bat on Caprillion, but I still not impressed. He—it uh, was nice to see him be a little bit more involved in the game this time. Maybe it was—you know—he played up to the competition. But uh, I have determined. That there is zero chance he's a shortstop in the major leagues. He's going to be a second baseman. I don't know. I've seen like high grades on his arm. I didn't see it in four of the five games he played that I saw. Did not see a sixty plus arm. I see him as a second baseman. And what's unfair about him moving forward? Now my 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 thoughts have changed on him. But is is the comparisons he's going to carry with D Gordon? But he's not as fast as D. He's not as athletic. I know he's hitting in the high 350, 360 range in the AFL. I would be surprised if he's a three hundred hitter in the major leagues. Uh, but you know he's young, and obviously throughout a lot of this, he's just kind of playing up and down to the competition. Now there's a Dylan there's a Dylan Tate story in here that I will mention on the back end when we're kind of talking about, you know, just the the extra stories that you might be interested in. Uh, but he did end up pitching in the game where he came in relief. It was actually decent. Two strikeouts, gave up one hit. Uh, Marcus Molina had come in. He gave up three. It, he didn't look that good. Caprillian uh, gave up the two but had the three strikeouts and two walks. On the other side, Edgar Santana was awesome again. Game three was the Solar Sox coming in to play uh, Surprise, and uh, this was a game I was really excited about. The pitching matchup was pretty good. It was Connor Green, one of the upper prospects for the Blue Jays, against Tanner Anderson again. I just had to space it out properly. We didn't see a whole bunch, uh, nothing really to talk about on the relief pitcher side, except uh, Trey Ball with the Red Sox uh, just had one of the worst, probably the worst pitching outing I've seen from a baseball player in a long time in relief. But uh, Tanner Anderson, Connor Green. On the hitting side, for surprise, you had Debo. This was a one game that Nick Gordon wasn't playing. I'd have been surprised to see if maybe he kinda played up to it. Uh, Ryan O'Hearn, Mitch Garver, Andy Abanez. Mm, surprise kind of lacked a little bit of the the prospect luster here. But on the Solar Sox, we had Greg Allen, Ian Hap, Brett Anderson, Anthony Alford for Toronto. We did not have the two guys I was like come on Franklin Barreto and Eloy Jimenez I was just I was there to see those two they were not in but fun enough I got there right when the gates opened and I went down and batting practice was going on and it was Barreto and Eloy and I got that I got it on video and I got a picture that's up on the article page here Eloy is huge Franklin Barretto looked uh, looked like he was dialed in and a really unique cool thing about what happened this was the day because the the game was uh, this was November 3rd this is the day after the Cubs won the World Series so they did a photo shoot with all the Cubs prospects like 10 minutes after I got there and I'm standing like actually the gate was open I could have walked on there but I'm not that person and I'm just standing there and they're taking uh, the five Cubs prospects are taking a picture and a, a really fun thing, and this is something that I look for when I'm looking at some of these guys. Aloy was having a lot of fun, he was like really excited to be there. He was the belle of the ball, everyone was hovered around him. He was the biggest personality out there, just having fun with people. I actually got to kind of speak with him, didn't speak a lot of English, but he came over because I waved him over and uh, you know, gave me a second, shook his hand, and, and he went off. And you know, and his batting practice was something, uh, something to be amazed at. You know, the, the sound of the bat and how the ball flies. There's no reason to not be excited about Eloy Jimenez. And as well, Franklin Barreto, a really, really nice guy as well. And I'll kind of talk about at the very end when we're talking about the player interactions with fans, I've got kind of a positive negative that I saw between players, if you care about that stuff. But in game, here are the notes on the game. Tanner Anderson again, was he was dialed in. He was inducing ground balls. He got happen and Greg Allen on ground balls. He set down Brian Anderson on a ground ball and then he struck out Anthony Alford and a couple of them. Connor Green, he's interesting. He's super fiery, super emotional. Uh one of the first things when he came out after like, you know, warming up, he was just like, "Solar sucks. What's up?" You know, he was like um he's like a bro. You know, he was just—he was a total bro, and he was super excited about it. And uh, but he—he he showed his emotions in multiple points of the game. But the dude can dial it up. He dialed it up to ninety-eight, but he did not have a lot of uh, accuracy on it. I though it was hitting ninety-eight multiple times. Every single time he hit in the upper nineties, he th- there was no swings. But then he dialed it down to seventy-eight on a curveball, which was really gross to see. But his sweet spot was ninety-five to ninety-four. Um, when he was in those high nineties, it was nothing but walks. I think he walked three, but he got his strikeouts in that 93 to 94 range. An interesting thing that ended up happening though, this would be something to watch with him was they came out after like his third walk, the, the manager came out and he just like immediately waved him off, like shook his head, shook his hat. And then when the manager kept walking, he did like that head thing back like, Ugh. And I was like, dude, this is AFL and you're doing all this? And it wasn't a it didn't become a thing, but I was I was kind of surprised by the whole process of it. But he's gonna be someone to to watch for. If he can start commanding that ball that hits into the high nineties, that's gonna be positive. But I do think he's a starting pitcher because, you know, if he's not commanding that ninety-eight, ninety-nine, why not, you know, let him go deep into games and hit that ninety-four, ninety-five? Learn his command a little bit better because he was uh he was a little bit walky in the game. Greg Allen Really like watching Greg Allen in multiple games. He reminds me of Rajay Davis. Um, he wasn't particularly great on the offensive end on this game that I saw. He was 0-5, but he made just he made the most amazing throw that got Andy Abanez out at home. It was really awesome to see. Anthony Alford, who's impressed pretty much the entire Arizona Fall League, he um, defensively hit a low liner that hit right off his glove, and he didn't die for it, which was a little weird. But lots of hustle. He beat out a double play. Then he stole second, which then was a bad throw, and it turned into third. So that was really nice to see. Andy Banez had a single and a stolen base. Just every time I saw him, he just did business. It was incredible. But the big thing to take away was Ian Happ, uh, who I'm also going to talk about in the fan interaction at the end here. Ian Happ did not look that great. He did get a hit and a run, which you would expect, but he was not the best player out there. He wasn't the best player on his team for the day. He wasn't the best player out there, and Surprise didn't have a bunch of prospects. So that was a little odd to me. Luckily, I saw Happ... Uh, one other time, but I I walked away from this experience going like, you know, that's not not the prospect I thought who's like a top 30, top 35 type of guy, but, you know, it's a small sample size. So I'm going to jump to the final game that I saw before we talk about the Fall Stars game here, and then we're going to bring on Eno.
0: Game
1: 4. I saw the Solar Sox again, so I kind of kind of set that up for you. Where this time, again, I didn't see Eloy Jimenez. I was really bummed about. But the pitching matchup, not exciting. Edgar Santana came in, was amazing as he's been the entire Arizona Fall League. And I've seen him at four different instances. I think he is, if not a setup guy, he's a future closer. Uh, He was hit 97 pinpoint stuff. Very exciting to see. He will be in the majors this year. I'd be shocked if he's not. Trey ball looked better as well. And Yarlin Garcia with the Marlins had a good inning on the back end. He kind of closed out the game, but who we got to see here is we got to see Nick Gordon. Again, we got to see Ryan O'Hearn, Eric Wood, Connor, Joe, Fredo, Escalara, for the Saguaro's Solar Sox was about the same crew: Greg Allen, Brian Anderson, but we got to see Bradley Zimmer this time. That was someone we didn't get to see last time. Now, an interesting thing about this game, I want to set up here because I'm gonna this I'm gonna extend this story into the back end of the show, talking about like a, a little memorabilia interaction that happened. But Nick Gordon was in a much better mood during this game and part of it I think had to do because his brother was in town his brother had they had tweeted out the night before I kind of figured he might be there and then like in the second inning I look over and he's sitting in the stands he's sitting like you know 15 seats to my left and he was just hanging Nick was about to get up and then they got out and then he kind of like went off because some fans kind of started to see him D Gordon that is and then D ended up going up to you know this perch which I actually took a picture of and you can see on the article page just kind of hiding out from everybody but Nick was a lot more involved in this game and he looked better. Uh, he got a double. He had an RBI. Um, he made a good, couple good defensive plays. He just looked like a better player. So uh, it was interesting to see, like the you know, like I don't know what it is. Like does he need to? He needs better competition. He needs reinforcement. He just he wasn't. He did not look good early on, and he really kind of moved back into it a little bit. On the Solar Sox side, Bradley Zimmer is a beast. He was. Uh, he he's quite the specimen to look at. Got on base. He had a uh, he had a, a walk and then a subsequent run, but a couple strikeouts. It's going to be interesting to see how he adjusts, but he is a guy that you should be drafting. He just He's a big dude. He can run. He can hit. He just hasn't put it all together. Ian Happ did not look good again. No hits with a strikeout. Uh, he had moved his average up from when I first saw him, but it just still wasn't there. The guy of the game, though, was Greg Allen who just continuously impressed. He had two hits and two stolen bases, which uh, I think got him to 10 on uh, this uh, AFL season. And I'm telling you, Greg Allen's a dude that should be starting in Cleveland next year. If he's not, it's going to be sooner somewhere. He is, uh, I think he can be a table setter. He's a great defender. That is already playing the de- the defense and the glove plays. I think the hit tools play. He's a lot of speed and he did some uh you know, he did some work on the season. It wasn't anything like to write home about or go crazy about, but you know, 7 homers, 44 RBIs, hitting 295 in entire season last year but 45 stolen bases. And he was able to put it back together um, so far here into the Arizona Fall League with a similar average. So be on the lookout for Greg Allen. Don't sleep on him. He was re- he's he's definitely on the positive end of guys that I saw. And the last like statistical thing I would tell you is Ryan O'Hearn hit a moonshot that was just it was it was out of this world. He just it was one of those no doubters. When I saw it, I was like, he gone. It was it was pretty awesome. I uh, hit that right over right, so it was pretty it was pretty cool to see. Lastly, it's the Arizona Fall Stars game. <laughs> All Star Game. Now, I'll just do a quick little breakdown of. Uh, we saw some of the best players in the game on the AFL East. You had Barreto, Eloy, Glaber, Duel Lugo, Bradley, Zimmer anthony alford christian stewart uh, ryan mcmahon uh, on the west side you had nick nick gordon cody bellinger tyler o'neill harrison bader um willie calhoun maurice DeBoe. and on the pitching side the east didn't have much outside of yarlan garcia but the west had honeywell copeck francis Marte, david polina they were loaded before the game started, I was with the whole crew uh, from first pitch, Steve Gardner, uh, Eno, Saris, Paul Spore. It wasn't sitting with Steve, but sitting the rest of the crew, Derek Van Riper was there. It was this whole crew sitting right behind home plate, which we're actually on television. People were like tweeting us about it. And we played this little game. It was called the Paul Stars. It's Paul Sports little DFS game where you draft a couple players in this game. Everyone did. And uh, yours truly took it down, took it down. You can hear that in the episode uh, 100 we did. Uh, we did an episode 100 for our baseball podcast live in the stands at the Fall start game with these guys, with Eno, Paul. So you want to go hear that, go find that episode. Uh, we're talking more about fantasy baseball in general, not prospects. I'm going to talk to Eno about some of the stuff that we saw in the game and some of what he's seen over time, but the the standouts for you to know from this game was Willie Calhoun hit a three-run bomb who won me the Paul Stars thing. He looked really good in the game, though physically I have a lot of question marks on him, but he was three for three with two runs and a homer. Uh, Cody Bellinger just destroyed one. It was pretty amazing to see. And Michael Kopech and Brett Honeywell just wowed The crowd. Michael Kopek hit 101 on the radar. Honeywell was unhittable with his fastball and he dropped a screwball, which we're going to talk about, and then put out 6'7 David Polina that came out. Uh, It was a pretty phenomenal look at these West All Star pitchers and uh, getting to see the whole collective crew of all these guys. Playing together really tells you, you know, when you see a guy stand out in an all-star game, it's it's fun to see. But, uh, you know, Gleyber Torres going out there, who unfortunately didn't do much in the game 0-4-4 with three strikeouts. He had a lot of uh, patience at the plate. Eloy Jimenez hit one at the pitcher who caught it, which would have t- took his head off. It would have been like a scene from Walking Dead if that ball would have hit him. But you've heard so much of me. My deep apologies. Let's go talk to Fangraph's own Eno Saris about some of these prospects and his outlook as well as some of the guys he talked to this will be a fun conversation because uh i get to spend some time with one of my favorite people in the fantasy baseball or baseball world uh sitting in the stands talking baseball uh you love him i love him eno saris from fan Eno, what's up brother
0: that yeah, was fun. We were talking the like chrome bone.
1: So many chrome bones were going on. Uh, PBRs were flying. Bets yeah. were flying, and I was able to win. Uh, what did What did Paul call it? The Paul Stars our uh, little DFS game?
0: Oh, you won.
1: I, I won it with the Willie Calhoun. Homer got me oh, the lead.
0: <laughs> and you were so loud and vociferous in your uh, in your support of Big Willie.
1: <laughs> I was the worst. I was just the worst. People were just hating me for it because we we had money on it and. Uh, if people didn't notice, also we were like we were positioned just enough to like be on television, which was great.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's funny too because like who do you root for in a fake league with <laughs> players all wearing their like home team jerseys who haven't even played in the major leagues? <laughs> it's like we're the only ones who are like yeah.
1: <laughs> We're so excited, but it was a really, really fun crew of guys. Uh, the whole sleeper on the bus crew, Spore, Colette. Uh, some people heard we did We did a little bit of like a almost this round roundtable thing on the ITL baseball podcast portion. But one of the the coolest experiences, except I would also say, except getting to buy Eno a beer. You know, if you if you follow Eno and beer grass, which I do have a question at the end for you. I got to buy Eno a little PBR because I also lost a bet to Sammy Reed with Michael Kopech, but. One of the fun things about this was I was just sitting in front of Eno and we were just kind of talking prospects the whole game. And uh, now that we're doing this prospect podcast, we had to get Eno's insight because uh, he was able to go on after and talk with a couple of the guys. So, you know, I want to cover some of the the major stars and some of the stuff even kind of we talked about in the All-Star game with the first one being... Brent Honeywell. Like, I remember we were all sitting there. We, we got going. Brent Honeywell come out. We were all kind of excited. He's a 95 to 98 guy, uh, very famously known as one of the few screwball pitchers out there. And he was dealing. Struck out five of the six. He looked awesome. Will you talk about what you saw, what you liked about Honeywell, as well as you talked to him after about the screwball?
0: It was easy, like, sitting in the stands to see what you liked about him. I mean, he was, uh, you know, touching 97, sitting 95. And he, I thought it looked like he was spotting that fastball. He had that screwball going. I saw another breaking pitch. There was a 91 mile an hour cutter. So you know, it looked like a, a full arsenal of pitches. He got ahead on guys real easily, and he struck out five of the six guys he saw. So.
1: It was ridiculous. I know he he put Barreto out. I think on the screwball in the first at bat, and Barreto just it it was it was bad.
0: Yeah, he struck out Alford, and. Beretto on uh, on screwballs and you know it's just a, a rare pitch so I was really excited and I was talking to you guys but I was really excited to talk to him I also talked to Dallas Braden about his screwball you know early in the season because I did a pitch I did a piece called Let's Invent a Pitch and basically ended up inventing the screwball which uh, <laughs> doesn't work but it's a rare pitch so you know
1: D- didn't you say didn't I hear you in passing say that was it the screwball that really screwed up Braden like into his future
0: that's that's what I remember I was on a, on a panel with Braden and his uh, arm was like sort of permanently turned and uh, I said when James Andrews opened up a shoulder he said what are you doing Uh, (laughs) because he said you should stop doing that so um, Braden said he couldn't because you know it was one of the things he did in his career it's weird though because when I look at this Brooks baseball I don't don't see a ton of uh, screwballs So either he toned it down or they didn't catch the screwballs right but in any case it is a hard pitch to catch because it kind of looks like a change up it looks like it basically looks like a side armors change up or like a real deep change up or a curveball like a lefty's curveball from a righty
1: it totally so looked a, to me it looked like a lefty's curveball to the righty I'm actually looking at you've got a great piece up on uh, screwballs in command and, with, and Brent Honeywell people can find it at Fangraphs.com, and it's got some some gifts in here of some of the strikeouts and I'm looking at the one as we speak of the uh, of the Beretto strikeout and it looks like a, a, a righty to lefty curveball type of thing going and I didn't even recognize it when we first you know, we're w- looking at him. I was like, okay, when's the screwball going to come in? And I think it even kind of took the uh, the umpire. You know, took him back a little bit. What, what did you get from talking with him about the screwball? Because you talked, to, you were able to catch him after. There's some. You put some good stuff out in the article, and you did a vine of it. Like, what did you gauge from him about his excitement and how he works that screwball into his uh, arsenal?
0: Well, you know, I expected him to say that he, you know, babied it or didn't throw it much, and you know, because when I when I talked to Dan Heron about the. About the splitter, he said, basically, I didn't practice the splitter. I didn't throw the splitter in bullpens. I just threw it in games. So I basically kept it down to, you know, uh, 10 to 20 a week or whatever. I expected Honeywell to say something like that. But when I said, you know, oh, Braden said, you know, chewed up his shoulder and you, you ain't worried about that, he he shrugged.
1: <laughs> he's just like, nah, I'm good.
0: just like, I don't know, <laughs> you know. And it, it, he, he's a funny guy because I asked him about, um, he, he kind of jerked his head to the side, yeah. which – you know you know, scouts say that's that's gonna lead to bad command in the major leagues and stuff, but when I asked him about that, he's like, It's hard to throw hard, man. So, you know, it is uh it is interesting also that the data says that pitchers don't really have great command in general. You know, they yeah. they at one point they tracked the, the catcher's glove, you know, as a target and they tracked how far the glove had to, to travel to get the ball and on average it was thirteen inches. So wow. You know, that's that's pretty far, you know, even if it's in 3D space, it's 13 inches is pretty far for an average missed spot. So maybe we overvalue command sometimes and maybe uh, it's just about confidence, about throwing it towards the middle of the zone and letting the movement eat, you know.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting you say that because I kind of gauge from, like, the article that you put together, too, he, he, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, he almost seems, like, uh, caught back a little bit how good he he was and, and how much his, he was catching the command because on the season, at least on the Fall League, let's talk about the Fall League here, in a couple appearances, he had a over-six ERA, gave up eight runs in 11 innings. He walked a couple. I know he's working on stuff, but, you know, he gave up a bunch. It was all from the home runs, by the way, because he has a super low whip. So ev- all the damage that was done to him was via home run. Into the fall league, but then he came into the All Star game and would just lighten it up. And he almost seemed caught back, like yeah, it was. I was commanding it well, like he didn't think he would.
0: Yeah, that was a key thing he said, which was just you know, I know, I know where I can go now. Is something he said, something mm. like that. And I think that might be it because you know the the sort of standard Leo Mazzoni approach is blown away, loan away, and yet he has a, kind of a riding fastball. With uh, Without a ton of side-to-side movement, that's better for high in the zone. So what we saw in the All-Star game, the Rising Stars game, we saw high fastballs, you know? Yeah. And so it's, it, it, maybe it's, you know, he came in and he was like, I'm going to try to, you know, dot that loan away and uh, gave up some, you know, walks and homers and decided, you know what, you know, I should live high in the zone. And there are strikes to be had high in the zone. Just has to be careful and, you know, it's a little bit harder than, than getting strikes alone in the zone. Did you
1: walk away like more impressed? Because if you just look like singularly at the performance, we were all like everybody. I mean, not just because we were all having fun with uh, drafting some of these players and having fun with it, but we were all just like, Jesus, no one can hit this guy. Did you walk away if you know if you were looking at some type of prospect rank, you would almost bump him up a couple notches, or is it about yeah, what you thought?
0: I think so because uh, the the main thing the main thing that when you say you like a guy. When you like him, uh, the main negative in response is often, uh, what about command, you know? Yeah. And, uh, first of all, I, I gave you this stat on, you know, why we might overvalue command Second, you know, a theory that I have that I sort of alluded to, which is that I think that command is confidence. And, uh, you know, with his kind of six mile an hour stuff and the confidence he showed in the interview, I have a feeling that, you know, even a couple of homers in the major leagues aren't going to keep him from, you know, throwing high in the zone and, and, and you know, limiting the walks. And then third, he said something funny about uh, when I said, you know, the head jerk, is it bad for your command? He said, well, my my father put a blindfold on me.
1: Fascinating.
0: And... It's fun. It's like a funny anecdote. And maybe I shouldn't. uh, I'm not saying that the blindfold itself is amazing. But what the other part of command for me is just repeatability. And as weird as his delivery is, this sort of blindfold story tells me that he's been doing this delivery his whole life. And that he's that his father sort of emphasized feel over, you know, watching the ball into the glove or whatever. He you know that he has a clean, repeatable delivery. Yeah, it's not it's not, sorry. I shouldn't say clean. He has a repeatable delivery. It doesn't look clean, but it's repeatable. So
1: yeah, he actually reminded me when I read that in your article. It reminded me of um, the Tim Lincecum stuff, where his dad would have him, you know, when he pulled back, like grab a quarter off the ground, like in his weird delivery. I don't know if you remember hearing about that. It yeah. just reminded me of the same thing.
0: Yeah, and then also Jake Arrieta when he when he you know busted out when he came over to to Chicago. He said Baltimore. He didn't say directly Baltimore had me doing this. What he said about coming to Chicago was that he kind of just focused on athleticism and delivery and repeatability. So, you know, he got bigger, uh, he got yoked, and he he just – he has that weird delivery where he steps across his body almost like a lefty. He hides the ball for a real long time, and he's managed to – even in a bad year, he had average command. So, you know, I think that uh, maybe we should focus on athleticism and repeatability a little bit more than – can the guy especially the minor leagues, can the guy in the in the minor leagues dot the corner? I don't know. First of all, the umpires are real bad. Yeah. Or not as good as the major league ones. And second of all, yeah, maybe he can dot that one spot against minor league hitters and then he comes up and tries to get it to that spot and a major league hitter, you know, pounces on it. What happens the second time he goes to that spot? So It's a perfect uh, transition
1: actually to this next player here when you talk about, you know, focusing on on athletic ability and just, you know, pure stuff. Was the guy that followed up Brent Honeywell, Michael Kopek, who's just my just absolute obsession in the Arizona Fall League because I get to uh, chat with him for a couple minutes, watch him. He's had a pretty good performance, started four games, struck out 18, uh, sub-2 ERA. He's just He's been good. He comes out after Honeywell and just continues the no-hits. So he hit 101, uh, hit a 91-mile-an-hour uh, changeup, 89 slider. He looked as good as delivered. What did you come away with? Uh, what were your thoughts coming away watching Kopech?
0: There was some effort in the delivery, uh, but again, you know when he when he stepped off of it and it was 97 to 99 <laughs> <laughs> you know, when he wasn't really trying to heave it up there, um, I thought it looked fine. and what I was really looking for, because there there are more and more guys who can average that sort of velocity every day. What I was looking for was what the secondary stuff looked like, and I actually came away impressed. He had a, a two pitch sequence where he threw a bad not a bad change, but he threw a change up in the dirt and the pitter, and a hitter just you know spat at it. And I said, well, you know, that was a 91 mile an hour changeup, which is actually okay if you average 98. You know, yeah. <laughs> it was like uh, 90, 91. Uh, then he he threw this, the second one. He threw the hitter had no chance and just swung over the top of it. And that's kind of interesting because it was two in a row. Maybe the hitter just didn't figure he'd get two changeups in a row, and that's what it was. But the action on the pitch was great. And so I wouldn't. It's one of those scouting things where I wouldn't say it's a current. You know, fifty-five, sixty. I wouldn't say it's currently above average for a changeup, but future grades for sure. Like I, we saw a couple really good changeups, and the slider's pretty legit, eighty-eight, eighty-nine. You know, a, you know, looked a little bit like a, a Mets, you know, hard slider with you know, maybe a little bit even, you know, maybe like Thor-like, or maybe even you know, good Harvey-like, where it has a little more drive than you expect at eighty-eight, eighty-nine. So, did,
1: did you walk away after you saw him? I mean, I think. The the stage was set, at least I know for me it was, the stage was set when Honeywell came out and did what he did. did. Kopech seemed to come out and deliver. Same kind of question with Honeywell. Are you walking away with higher expectations and higher feelings on Kopech, or is this about what it thought? Because Honeywell is seen as like a top, thirty, whether it's fantasy or real baseball, probably like a top 35, 40 prospect, where Kopech is probably sitting in the 60s. Are you walking away feeling better about him, and how would you even compare him with Honeywell as far as production?
0: Yeah, there might be more questions with the command uh, on Copac, at least you know scouting the stats. And I think there was some 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 effort in some of the deliveries. And I would say generally, without the head jerk, I would have I've I found uh, Honeywell's delivery smoother. But at the same time, you know, for me, Kopac going into that was an, was a you know like a trivia trivia question answer. <laughs> okay. You know? Yeah. Like who's the guy who's thrown the hardest, you know, in the minor leagues all year? And I came away being impressed with that, you know, one or two change ups I saw that had really nice action, impressed with the slider, and impressed with the sort of ninety seven or ninety nine mile an hour fastball. So, you know, I definitely yeah, I definitely came away impressed. It's it's funny because probably of the whole group that we saw. I was most impressed with the two pitchers, which is not normally what happens in the Arizona League.
1: Not at all. You Especially know? there are a lot of runs that were scored as well. You might, people might be like, Oh, it's gotta be hitters. Cause the West scored 12 runs. And it was like, well, how impressive those two starting pitchers were was you had to, I mean, you maybe had to be there to really experience it.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, when it came to the hitters, I mean, it's Arizona too. So they're always they're always going to get that, you know, three to five feet of boost on their, on their big flies. And, um, you know we saw you know alfred hit a a batting practice home run that went out of the stadium and uh, it was interesting because it was to the the pull field and he hasn't really shown that pull power yet so that was uh that was fun to see but he doesn't really do it in games yet and um i've
1: seen him twice and i have seen really no sign of power it's only a very small sample size but i really haven't seen any uh, type of power in any game so you're right about that
0: typical like you know uh, future sixty seventy power current forty. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. it's just. Well, he not... got bigger
1: too. I I commented to somebody if you've seen pictures of Anthony Alford, like you know whatever, like MLB dot com. You go look from like last year. He kind of has this like he looks like a skinny dude in person. He's he's jacked. He must he got jacked in the last year because he looks like he has put on some serious muscle mass.
0: Yeah, yeah. I um I I, I actually asked him. You know, did you prefer football and um. And he said yes. <laughs> Did he?
1: Oh, boy. There's a good sign for him. Well,
0: yeah. yeah,
1: the like, good you prospect. You
0: shouldn't said that to.
1: Me. <laughs> yeah, not the person to say it to. Maybe say it to your buddy. Don't say pre- it like,
0: to. Oh, but I like baseball now.
1: <laughs> yeah, like okay, good save there, Anthony. Okay, well speaking of hitters real quick, we all were I don't know if the te- if, if people watching on television mlb.com or whatever would have noticed this uh and they're viewing but we, all sitting like you know like three rows from the front, were completely infatuated with Cody Bellinger, how he was just hugging inside the plate almost to an illegal point. Um, you likened him to Votto. I'd love for you to comment on that. Uh, but we were just ooing and awing over him, though he, he had this mixed bag, and this may be who he is as a player moving forward, where he struck out twice, and he just had these huge swings, but then he also dropped the two-run bomb in the game and he's hit one homer uh without through the fall league and he's had some It's a pretty decent results, good on one of the top on base percentage guys. But what did you think when we were watching Cody Bellinger? When did you walk away feeling about him?
0: It, it was really interesting. That 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 inside foot, that back foot is is illegal. It's out of it's like out of the box um and on top of the plate. You know, we were making jokes about Rizzo, but in some ways um in some ways it's more like um uh like Ivato. I think in that I don't think he's going to like the inside pitch. Yeah, um, Votto's kind of struggled with it, with that without his whole career. You know, I say struggled. He's so amazing that it hasn't <laughs> been a big deal. But I think as his career falls off, we're going to see people, you know, crowding him and, and trying to pitch him inside and him not being able to sort of muscle it out and stuff. So that's one thing that uh, uh, was interesting. And also the other thing that was interesting was that guy is swinging for the fences every time.
1: Oh my God, that swing! <laughs>
0: I don't know if it was just. I mean, I've actually seen. I've seen some reports that he kind of does this all the time. But in the rising stars, you know, game he was, he wanted the MVP. He got one homer, and I think you know every swing after that was like, you know, I'm going to get the second homer, or the third homer, and and uh, get myself some hardware. But,
1: he was hitting uh, out of. He was trying to hit out of his shoes. He reminded me of how Miguel Montero. M- Miguel Montero has at least two swings every single at bat where he looks like he's trying to hit it to another planet and and <laughs> I mean he was falling Bellinger was falling over he fell over like 3 times with some of those big swings but I mean obviously when he he got when I remember the homer he hit it was just it was just a no brainer we saw it we're like buh-bye.
0: yeah and you know it's it's a mixed bag. I mean, it didn't seem like he, i do not sure he did it every time. And that's the point. He has good play discipline, so he's not going to swing at every single pitch. So, I do think that after seeing him, he kind of went from like 27% strikeouts to 20% this year. And so, it's really tempting to make him you know, like a Adrian Gonzalez type, or somebody who can like strike, or like even you know, a Rizzo. You know, where he strikes out eighteen percent of the time, walks eight ten percent of the time, and is a you know a preeminent slugger in the game. Yeah, um, and that's still possible for him. But having seen him, I'm 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 a little bit. I think I'm a little bit more like twenty five percent strikeout rate, more of like a two fifty to two sixty hitter with a good OVP Still, like a really good hitter, but I doubt he's going to be like a three hundred hitter. I just with the the aggression that he swung with, and the aggression he swung with was good because it gives him that plus bat speed that's going to give him the power he needs. Uh, but at the same time, it was it was kind of so aggressive. Uh, maybe I'd have to, I guess I'd have to see more of him to decide if he's really going to do that every time or whatever. You know, but yeah. uh, I kind of came away from it thinking, ah, you know, maybe better OBP than batting average guy, but uh, you know, still impressive impressive tools. Also, good defense. Looked like an athletic guy. Was not, you know, like, not like Mr. Cronbone. I mean, uh, CJ. CJ's little brother stepped to the plate and you're like, are you sure you can make it to first base, dude?
1: It was really a concern. I'm a big guy and I'm out of shape, but I was like, I don't know. I might win a foot race against a Chrome Bone. I don't <laughs> <Yeah>. know. <laughs> yeah, you're totally right about that. And, you know, with Bellinger, too, one of the things you look at is like how much adjustments, which I'm kind of surprised they haven't made some of these adjustments now, but how many major league adjustments are going to come. But the Dodgers in general, both, you know, Willie Calhoun, who is built like a tank. He's totally built like a tank, and you know it's not all muscle. By the way, He's short, tanky dude. The Dodgers played really well in there. Did, r- quickly on those two, did, did you walk away feeling more positive about Bellinger or Calhoun?
0: You know, Calhoun just didn't have that good body, dude. No, no. no. And understatement just, of the year. <laughs> I just couldn't see him, you know, hitting, uh, you know, playing second base. But um,
1: I got to be problems. honest with you, dude. I did the exact same thing. Like the bat looked like it played, but you got to see him in person. He does not look like a baseball player.
0: No, no. He reminded me like of like an old Juan Uribe or something.
1: <laughs> he did look, like like of the out of shape Juan Uribe. Yeah.
0: yeah, just a big old butt. He hit 27 homers this year in double A, though, and we saw a little of that. Did he hit two home runs in the game no
1: he he hit a... he oh God, I think he got a single and then he was he got an uh, a run because he was uh he was running and then he got that bomb it was a three run bomb so i mean he he had there, no there's a reason he won m v p in the game he had a, a major toll in a lot of the runs that were put out there but yeah, I gotta agree with you. Just watching him, I just, I really had a hard time in visualizing. Like I look at a guy like Andy Abanez, who is small in stature, but I can just see where his game plays. I look at Willie Calhoun. I'm just, I'm just not sure. I don't think I've yeah, seen a baseball player like that.
0: Some of those small guys turn into Dustin Pedroia, which is like, the, you know, he's a patron saint of small guys.
1: <laughs> totally um, he doesn't have to drop like 50 pounds but yeah
0: yeah that's what i'm saying like with the body as you can see it because it's it's a more muscular smaller you know package but calhoun's like small and you know ass. so
1: <laughs> exactly
0: um, you know so i don't know where it's gonna play i you know i'm not um i'm not a good enough scouter to to tell you if the arm can play at third maybe dh and, you know and, and he's at the Dodgers, so dh is a little bit awkward maybe yeah. Maybe like a, as a young man, uh, corner outfield. That's another thing I saw with Bellinger is like as a young man, you could actually dream on him in a corner outfield, you know, and sort of transition to first because he's he can run and, you know, he's not your typical, you know, statue at first. So Calhoun um, maybe early on, you, you, you can uh, fake him out there. but um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah I don't know, know. where he's going to Maybe like a second division first baseman or something. Maybe they, maybe he's in a trade. Maybe he's in a trade. I, I think he has it's to be
1: traded. I don't see how he fits.
0: Team, and that's a team that's always looking to improve. And you know this this free agent market is so bad. And part of the whole AFL experience is to get those guys in front of scouts.
1: You are one hundred uh, percent right. And they were, I mean, they were out in droves at the All Star game.
0: Yeah, it's funnier when you go to uh, like a a day game that's not. The All Star Game and it's like eighty percent scouts.
1: Dude, I went on. Th- I went the two. I went to the game uh, on Thursday before the All Star Game and I went and saw the Solar Socks and I got to you know, just chat for like a second. He didn't speak English, but Eloy Jimenez. And there were maybe hundred and fifty people out there, and a third of them were scouts. And then you go to the All Star Game and it was pa- it was a packed house.
0: Yeah, you know they they do a night game and uh, those day games are different. But there's also like a lady who goes to like half the games who cheers them on even though they are like what are you cheering for <laughs>
1: yeah i know <laughs> I, I i see this one lady at surprise all the time she's like will you sign my packet she doesn't know who any of them are and they're like okay
0: yeah, lady. that might be her and then she has like she, has, she makes noise. She has like noisemakers. It's like the flag lady. Like, like go desert dogs. And you're like, who are the desert dogs? What are you talking about? Are you really that <laughs> excited about them?
1: Okay, so I got to ask yeah. you about this because we, we had fun with this. And I know you had some coverage of it. And people can go back and look at your Facebook Live where uh, Brett Phillips, who's uh. Interesting character, and there's a, a he's got this infectious laugh, and been um, he's been likened to Durs from Workaholics. And uh, you got to speak to him. Can you can you just kind of tell the Brett Phillips kind of story of just kind of some of the some of the oddness?
0: <laughs> it was pretty weird. The it, during the Facebook Live, uh, I got we got a sense of what he's like, and it was fun because he 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 got a new bat from his bat maker. He took the plastic off and tied it into a tie around his neck um uh, and uh was you know knocking on the bat asking it if it had hits in it for the day and you know just uh it took the camera from somebody and started taking pictures of the, of the camera person or the pr person and just like a fun young man i don't think you know i've seen a lot of guys that push that act i, I don't know if it's an act i'm just going to call it an act it's not necessarily an act you yeah. know that push that sort of of um personality too far i mean Sometimes I've seen Derek Holland push it to the point where you're just like shaking her head at him and just getting tired of it but with Phillips I got like a real you know you know this is just a genuine young man who's having fun you know and and I it is interesting to pair that with the conversation I had with him because the conversation I had with him uh, left me scratching my head a little bit I talked about his his load he kind of in the back when he when he loads uh, to, to swing, uh, he goes from his hands up high to his hands down low and sort of loads low. So I was asking him about that, seeing, you know, maybe he would talk about swing playing, trying to add power, because he's this guy who was supposed to have a little more power than he's shown so far, and at some point was supposed to be maybe like a 25-20 uh, guy with good o b p skills, playing in center. And uh, and he said, yeah, I, I did lower my hands during the season, but now I want my hands high. I I, have, I don't think I've ever heard a guy tell me he wants his hands higher. So I was like, Well what do you mean? And he's like, Well, you know, I need I need to I need to be able to hit the top the, the high pitch and if I if I drop down too low I can't hit that high pitch. And I was like, Well that makes sense. Uh, you know, you want to cover the zone and then I was like, Wait, so what kind of like what kind of player do you wanna be? And he's like, you know, I wanna be like a a one, two or an eight nine hitter and then he goes he goes, Well, I don't know, eight national league, seven eight.
1: <laughs> and we, we i remember we were talking about that it was like we ever heard a player that just had just such less expectations for themselves or like i just really yeah. love to be that eight hole hitter like please let me make it to that point
0: i just want to run around in center catch some balls and hit in the eight hole
1: well um, and you know that might be part of that kind of personality where you know you, yeah. you may be looking at a player and there are a handful if not you know i you could probably even safely say two-thirds of these players you know that um you know, in four or five years they may be working at a law firm or something like that. You know what I mean? Or maybe they're in some type of scouting where they just may not make it. And this may be a player who just enjoys the time that he has. You know, not particularly a great fall league, hitting two twenty two, uh, no homers, as you said, couple stolen bases, though he does get on base, but a guy that's moved away from the power to say, I'm gonna just try to get on base as much as I can, but we were laughing at that seven eight whole thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean uh honestly like having Talked to him about a swing and having looked at it uh, that day and another day, I don't know. I don't know if it's uh, yeah. if it's destined for greatness. My- he, when he, when, but the one thing is when he does load low, he makes himself he, he makes an arm bar, which means that you know, his arm is straight and that means that it's hard to get the inside pitch and you make your your swing slower. I was talking to Eric Longenhagen, the prospects guy at Fangraphs, and I told him the story and he said, Well, you know, uh, sometimes putting your hands higher makes sense. Cause if you, if you kind of do this in your bedroom or your living room, wherever, um, if you raise your hands up, you'll see that your, your elbow, um, naturally, uh, was a, like, closes and becomes less straight. Right. Mm, yeah. Uh, so maybe that would put more flex into, um, into a swing and, uh, help him make more contact. And help him um, be the uh, number eight hitter he's always wanted
1: to be. <laughs> He'll make dreams come true. All right, last one here. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for taking the time here. Besides the obvious crone bone here, was there anybody else that you just walked away really loving? We got to see some of the game's best, as people know. Glaber Torres, Ilo Jimenez did not start, but we got to see a couple loud at bats uh, a little bit later. Harrison Bader was out there's a Game's biggest names. But obviously, besides the crone bone, who did you walk away besides the guys we've already talked? about you know kind of pushing up your ranks and your feelings
0: i think eloy jimenez you know an interesting thing about him was that uh you know at the event that we were at the the first pitch done by baseball hq they they always have some scouts come through and there wasn't actually a consensus on eloy jimenez there were some who sort of drooled on him and um had to wipe it up and then others (laughs) uh were saying that he that they thought he looked a little stiff uh, which is the uh, the death knell for you know big athletic power types. Yeah. So I was kind of watching. I was watching him a lot. I watched uh, two BP sessions for him. Watched the game the night before, and then uh, his at bats pretty closely in the Rising Stars game. And I'm not, you know, I just play a, a scout on TV. I don't really know these things, but I don't know, man. I thought he was amazing. Looks I, special. I saw him at the Futures game make a great catch against the wall, not one that you know, a statute, you know, he's definitely fast. So that's, you know, I guess you could be, still be fast and athletic and be thick and not, but still his contact rates, his strikeout rates are fine. Uh, and the, and the big hit that I saw on hit was an opposite field double on, um, uh, on a, uh, on a high fastball, you know, and it wasn't like he was really late. He was like trying to, to guide it into the, into the, into the play into the field of play. So, uh, and then he, you know, it could have been a single and he legged it into a double. So I don't know, man. He's a, he's a big guy who's fast enough to, at least when he's young. And I don't think that I saw the same problems that, you know, cause everyone's sort of like, Oh, Jorge Soler. But I didn't see the same problems that Jorge Soler has like a, kind of a problem with the slider on the outside corner. And I saw Eloy foul off a couple and even take a couple. So I, I think that bodes well for his ability to recognize spin and, um, Keep the strikeout right rate down and not have like an obvious hole. He's going to be a little bit aggressive. I doubt that he's going to be a big walk guy, but um, at the same time, I think he's going to hit the ball really hard, have high babs, and and drive his OBP that way.
1: Yeah, well, and uh, I talked to Jonathan Mayo in the first episode, and he had uh, he had mentioned how you know likened it to the Giancarlo Stanton type of guy. You know, there's a lot of power there. the The batting practices seem to you know they they just stop everybody. We were actually in the middle of our 100th ITL episode. We were just about to talk with uh, Steve Gardner there, and we all just stopped to watch one of the at-bats Eloy does, and that's one of the things that he has, and I've mentioned on here he also seems to, he kind of seems to be the head of the uh, the clubhouse he was the guy at one of the games I saw not playing but really kind of leading the charge of the fun, he was having fun out there even though it's been such a long season, so I have to agree with you. Well, you know, I really appreciate you taking out the time. I had a blast with you. Uh, we had fun. You know, you and I get to talk a whole bunch of baseball, which was just an absolute treat for me. We got to drink a little beer. We got to watch the Crone Bone. I don't know what else I could ask for.
0: Yeah, it's a fun way. It, 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 you know, near the end of that game, though, I, I felt a little bit of sadness because it really is the end. I mean, you you live there, so you might be able to, to see a couple more games. But um, when you kind of ex- – if you – when you kind of extend the season like that, it's almost uh, cruel in a way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> kind of, It Yeah, it's just that one little last taste. Which, speaking of taste, did you find a good consensus beer when you came out here? Did you pick one that you settled into that people can look at because beer graphs? Because remember, Eno is not just a pretty baseball face that they call the stat boy. He's also <laughs> a beer connoisseur.
0: Yeah, my mom was like, you got to stop drinking so much beer. You're getting a double chin. I'm like, thanks, Mom. What <laughs> do I do without you? <laughs> my favorite has always been Arizona Wilderness. But they're always like a little bit further away. They're kind of near the Cubs facility.
1: Oh, at Mesa? Okay.
0: Yeah. So, uh, but like uh, you know, the world seems to revolve around Scottsdale a little bit. There's just uh, a couple of stadiums there, and it's some of the nicer places to uh, to drink and eat. But uh, in Scottsdale, I, I like McFate. That's a that's a good one for me. I think it's kind of past Papa Go a little bit. Papago... You know, is the old school, you know, been around forever. Their own brews, I'm not that into. The nice thing about Papago is they, they have a lot of guest brews, but McFate does that too, and McFate has better food. So I would say Arizona Wilderness for best beer, McFate uh, maybe the best sort of uh, overall experience.
1: Well, see, there you go. You get baseball, you get beer, you can't ask for anything more. Go to fancrafts.com. I promise you there is some incredible off-season and in season stuff you're going to find uh, from prospects and more. Eno has an amazing, amazing ability to look at the game in a different way. That is uh, makes people love baseball as well. You can go to beergraphs.com, which you can find all your beer needs. You know, again, I had such a blast spending time with you. I really appreciate you taking the time out to talk on the Prospect One podcast. And I'm going to bug you again at some point, but I'll uh, I'll have some separation so you get a little space from me, my friend. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'll be back in Arizona in the spring, and we can uh, we'll have a meetup and uh, we we'll see some games together, man.
1: Exactly. All right, thanks, man. I right, see ya. Gotta love Eno. I want to thank him again for taking the time out, not only to do the uh, the uh, in-game interview and the whole round table that we did, but as well to talk with me a little bit after to uh, dig into some of these prospects a little bit more. So the last thing here, you know, if you're totally sick of me, you can tune out here. Not necessarily a fantasy perspective that's going on here, but these are just the last interesting notes that I didn't quite touch on from uh, the, the Fall League that I kind of noticed. And the first one happened in uh, Game 3 that I didn't bring up because I wanted to save it for here was, I, I was excited to see some of these prospects do this was they had some of these guys scouting and in game three november 2nd it was a solar Sox game i look to my right and michael kopech is sitting there and i'm like uh, it's michael you can't miss him long flowing hair you know it's like uh he's in the vein of thor with the, those big locks he's gonna be popular for that when he comes up and i'm like uh, what is he doing and i look and he's got a radar gun and then there's a scout that's sitting there and a scout is sitting with him and, there's, and he's talking with him and he's intently watching the scouts. So I realized, oh, they're also mentoring some of these guys um, to, you know, maybe these guys are going to be into future scouting or just learning the deeper parts of the craft that they're a part of. And I was, I was deeply impressed with that. Where do you take that away from? Well, when I see a guy that's uh, taking the time out, I don't know if this was mandatory or voluntary. I could not tell you, but I saw some players, um, Miguel Anduar, who was playing as a first base coach through one of the games I think it was game two game three I see Kopek and I don't know who the other person was that was uh in that was sitting in front of uh, Kopek. there is a picture of him in the stands on this article page and uh, they were just working as scouts the whole game he was there, and I thought that was interesting. I saw uh, Mauricio Debo do the same thing. So to see some of these guys running some other avenues, be it their own choice or not, I walked away impressed with. And it was just a you know a funny thing when you're sitting in the stands and you look over. You know, one game I look to the right and it's like, hey, there's Michael Kobek. You know, another game I'm like, eh, there's D Gordon. You know, Fall Stars game I'm standing there with Paul Spore and I'm like, hey, Paul. Like, that's Orlando Hudson right there, you know, and, uh, and during the Fall Stars game, they they cut to an MLB uh, interview with, I believe it was Michael Hill, and he was sitting next to me, and I was like, oh, they're, they're live on MLB Network, so there's weird experiences, but it was just one more notch on the belt of my excitement for Michael Kopech to see, with all the stuff that followed him, with, uh, he got in a fight with a teammate, the, uh, the suspension that he went through you know he he did an interview talking about he almost lost the game you know that he loves to see his interaction with fans to see the seriousness he took this game and to see him thrive he had one game in the fall league like i wasn't at it but he had a really bad walk situation and he recovered from it and he's just he's just been unhittable he's he's going to be one of the guys that in the, probably in the next episode that gets a lot of coverage that i i took away with and i was like that is um that's a that's a cool thing that happened so on to the, the stories, you know, with the autograph people and just some of the interactions with uh, some of the players. So I even made some notes about this because I thought you guys might find this is interesting. Now, these are not meant to be necessarily like damning stories. I'm not trying to sit here and crap on a specific player. It's 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 but I think it's worth telling because people experienced it and you, you take it for what it is. And and but it, it's meant it's going to tell you a story. and Maybe it's about you of which way you're going to take it because these are young guys. So let's start with a Dylan Tate one. The Dylan Tate story uh, is I, I'm there. I, I tried to get there right as the game started because, you know, you get, sometimes you get batting practice. Sometimes you get the players just kind of hanging around and you can catch them and say hi. And then there's also the crew of the autograph people. Now... Sometimes these are innocent. I sat next to um, a dad and his kid that, um, you know, they were just there to collect and have fun. They were doing it together. The dad, you know, he he, he would just try to track down the players for the kid. And, you know, like I remember Conor Green wouldn't sign for one kid, but he gave him a fist pump. And I was like, that's cool. You know, and then obviously there is the guys that are that kind of gross everybody out. I remember I was talking with Eno about this in the stands, where we we're talking about some of the players' interactions and in autograph. He's like, "Yeah, I don't really like the autograph people." Uh, you know, the autograph thing, and I was like, "Well, yeah, I totally get that. I don't think there is any harm in you know people wanting to." I don't know, you know, meet these players or anything like that. I'm not a big fan of the dude that comes in and, you know, gets his stuff and sells it, goes every single day to get these guys stuff and sell it and whatnot, which leads to Dylan Tate. So I'm sitting there, I'm sitting with a couple autograph guys, a couple of New York guys, and, uh, you know, are watching some of the pictures. I think I put this picture up on the page as well. And I didn't really recognize a whole bunch of the pitchers at first. I saw Marcus Molina. I thought I saw Caprillian, but it was a different pitcher. And then I see a Dylan Tate, and I'm like, oh, there's Dylan Tate. And I was, you know, kind of excited about him coming into last year. Results didn't really pan out. And uh, he's kind of walking around, and one of the guys is like, hey, Dylan, you sign? And Dylan looks over, and he just, just, mm. just, but like, scowl. Not like, no, sorry, you know, or no, or, or, or ignore it. He just looked over, he he st- he stared a hole through the guy and just went, Ugh. And then he just starts walking, and then another guy was like, "Oh, come on, Dylan!" And he's like, mm, and they're just shaking his head. Real, real, you know, it was different. And then he's he's like walking, and he's like leaving the field, and all the other pitchers are on there. And then um, there's like little kids that are like, "Hey, Dylan, Dylan!" And he's like, he just he's shaking his head the whole time. And um, you know, I wouldn't talk about it if it wasn't odd. And it was really weird. And I was like, like what? And I looked over the guy, and I was like, what's the what's the deal? What's the deal with Dylan Tate? And he's like, well, he's like, I heard. Uh, Apparently this went down a couple days ago, but this guy had Dylan sign like 40 things. And uh, Dylan did it. And I, when he said that, I was just like, why would he do that <laughs> why would a you know why would a player do that and then uh of course what did the guy do he went and put it all on eBay and started selling it and it got back to Dylan i don't know if he searched it and um, or how it went but then there was a there's a interaction that happened between the fan the next day and Dylan Tate and Dylan you know not in all the not in all the details here essentially swore off ever signing autographs again and this was like 2 days after and it kind of seeped in i think to the entire scorpions situation because a lot of the guys were pretty iffy at least around that time about a lot of stuff now there's so many levels to this because it's these are young guys there there's a whole level of exploitation that people don't think about like I think a lot of these guys probably feel exploited you know people are making money off of their name that they they're not making anything off of you know until they eventually go sign a deal with tops or panini or something like that and they make a whole bunch of money doing that type of stuff they're they're being exploited and I think for a lot of players that's a thing because you can see it in a lot of players that are not having a lot of the business about it. Uh, Ian Happ was had a Ian Hap was fine about it, but he had a very serious regimen. He was not pleasant with uh, with the fans, but he would still sign after the game. And, uh, and I walked away with the Dylan Tate thinking, man, that's a maturity thing. You know, like you don't want to sign autographs. You don't have to sign autographs. You don't have to do that. I mean, me personally, you know, go sign one thing. Don't go sign like 50 things for somebody that you're setting yourself up for that. But like, you know, kids, you don't want to sign for adults. Don't sign for adults. Go sign for kids. But it was really, it was an odd situation that it really stood out to me of how disinterested he was to have any interaction, even explain it like, nah, like Connor green, Connor green, I told you he kind of fist pumped. He was like, oh, no, sorry, I can't, you know, but gave the kid a fist bump. And it was just like a fine interaction. And the Dylan Tate one, it kind of circled around that uh, it wasn't it, it wasn't a good thing for him. And, you know, it might be a lot of personal stuff. Like I said, it's young, might feel exploited. Didn't have a good year last year. It looks like he's also transitioning to be a relief pitcher. So you should think about that from fantasy. But the Dylan Tate stuff, it was um, it came across kind of whiny. In its presentation, but I leave it to you to think about when you are looking at these players. Is is this player a jerk, or is this player experiencing you know this first level of exploitation? And uh, I thought it was really interesting. The autograph dudes were having none of it. Uh, it, it was sour to me because I saw it in person. But you know, if you really think about it, I kind of uh, I understand it. Uh, another cool interaction. I do want to tell you about is how hard as I was on Nick Gordon. The last game that I went to, I I brought my kid, four and a half years old. This is like his first, been to a baseball game before. This is like his first, first baseball game. And it was a cool experience. We got to, Anthony Alford took some time out and talked with him, which is really cool. And my kid didn't understand all this stuff. And he signed a little bat for him. And then uh, he got to meet Andy Albanez, who was very, very nice And, uh, you know, my kid wanted to hold the ball, and he came up. But the coolest interaction, surprisingly, was from Nick Gordon. And this was at the D Gordon game. And it really, it started to, it was just that thing I was looking at Nick Gordon. I was like, man, he really thrives off of some of, like, the current emotional stuff or, you know, the the atmospheric things that are going on with him. Because in all the games I've been to, he never once took time to go to anybody. He never stopped to even talk to a fan. He never would more than look over and go, nope. And this game he uh we just happened to be right over there and he just walked over you know took off his hat signed some stuff and but the greatest part was he walked up and my uh you know my little dude and i was like hey dude look over here and then nick just you know he was signing some for some for some adult and then he just stopped and he just was lo- locked into my kid he's like hey what's up little man and my kid's like hi and he's like you having fun he's like yeah and he's like give me that ball and he signed the ball for him and just totally made his day and i was like That's awesome. That's, you know, I felt like I walked away from the Arizona Fall League. I felt like I followed Nick Gordon the whole time. And it was a true maturation. It is exactly what Jonathan Mayo said in the first episode that I did, where small sample sizes can be misleading. And that's why you don't want to walk away... Completely decimating a a way you feel about a player just off of maybe one or two sample sizes. Like, I'm not going to go bonkers with Tyler O'Neill because I wasn't overly impressed with what I saw in a small sample size, but I saw a player mature in Nick Gordon. I saw him progressively get better. And it was really nice to see that he took some time out to have some interaction with fans on a day that, you know, his brother was there to see him. And he was really, really good about it. But, you know, in a positive negative tone uh, of uh, some of the players that I saw, just you know some insight some of the best players michael kopech was probably the best like i mentioned franklin barreto was as well he took some time out for people just talking with people andy abanias like i mentioned steven gonzalves with the minnesota twins i, I really enjoyed and uh, eloy jimenez on the negative side of uh, player interactions be it uh you know with just talking with fans or giving fans a time of day or signing autographs or whatever it was dylan tate was obviously the worst Another person I saw him three times was Bradley Zimmer. I saw him in person. I saw him play once. Or I saw him play twice, actually, in the uh, Fall Stars game and in a full game. And he never once, like, people, like, straight out kids, adults, just, hey, 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 just nothing. He was just having none of it, you know, all business. I thought that was interesting. And uh, I did walk away... With a weird feeling on Ian Happ. It was, he was very salty about stuff. It was just really, uh, it was a weird thing. He had a system, which I can appreciate, and I think he's been through it. And I, I truly think his came down to a lot of exploitation where, you know, you're getting in my way, I'll do this thing, I have my process, but it wasn't wasn't super pleasant. It's interesting. It'll be interesting to see. I, You know who I liken him to? It's like Jeff Kent. That's what it reminded me of. It was Jeff Kent. And uh, lastly, uh, Escalara with the Royals threw my kid a a baseball, which I really liked. And Juan Kelly, actually, in one of the games uh, with the Blue Jays' first baseman prospect, he threw me a ball as well. He was very, very excited. So I thought you guys might enjoy some of that. You know, you you saw some of the players that had these really big personalities. Eloy Jimenez was really excitable. You know, you could see where the players would hone in. You know, they were honing in. on. You know, I even saw it in the last game where Andy Abanez and Mauricio Debo. They got starstruck with D Gordon in the stands, like, and actually, that's how I saw D because I looked over. I'm I'm five feet from Andy Abanias and and Dubo, and they're looking over and they're talking and they're pointing, and I'm like, what are they doing? And I look over and there's D, and I'm like, oh. And they were starstruck by D Gordon, and it was it was just like the inverse of seeing you know fans starstruck by these guys, and then these guys starstruck by D Gordon. It was a it was an interesting thing to see, but at the end of the day. If you're an autograph guy, or you're not an autograph guy, or you have, you know, Scott doesn't really enjoy even meeting these guys. I do enjoy seeing an inside part of the game. Go with care. Move with care as far as how you look at these guys because they're young. You know, they're they're not all going to be Randy. D- Dylan Tate doesn't isn't going to be Randy Johnson necessarily. That's not what it's going to be placed to be. I guess they don't all have to be good, but to me, it stands out when a player over an entire um, AFL has a positive attitude takes time out andy abanias took time out for every single person and i saw him in every single game that i went to except the fall stars game uh michael kopech did the same thing you know it stands out when you see people go out of their way to talk with people and i saw a lot of uh, lower end prospects that were uh, had a lot of fun with people austin nola a catcher with the uh (laughs) <laughs> with the the Miami Marlins. Someone called him Aaron Nola, and uh, he had fun with them. You know, so players had a lot of uh, good interactions. Anthony Alford was another really positive one. He actually took time out for every single person where he was. So I don't know. I thought you might enjoy that. I'm still dying to hear, you know, do you guys have a favorite piece of memorabilia? Someone that you're catching, you're trying to get? Uh, we have a member, we actually have an ITL collector's memorabilia room in our ITL army, patreon.com slash ITL army. If you're a lieutenant or above, we have this room where, you know, guys are, you know, collect cards or they trade. One of the great longtime listeners, John Moore, owns a collectible site. So I think it's interesting and fun. It's that extra hobby for people. You know, if you're playing fantasy, there there could be a correlation with uh maybe you like to, you know, maybe you like to collect memorabilia, maybe you like to do that stuff, you like to talk about it. Who's your unicorn? Who have you got? What are you looking for? Maybe you can hook up with other guys that maybe wanna, you know, I don't know, trade with you or anything like that. I think that stuff is interesting, though myself I'm not I don't go bonkers. Uh, with any of it, though, you know, I got a couple autographs. I got a couple things, but you know, they're for my kid. You know, the Nick Gordon, the Nick Gordon ball. Uh, my kid and I will have a lot of fun with. Like I said, thank you again for listening to me so much this episode. Thank you to Eno for taking the time out. The next episode that you're going to get to enjoy is uh, me and Jim Callis, and we're going to finish off the Arizona Fall League. I'm going to be laying out all the stats, who are the leaders, and all the places, final analysis, and we're going to get Jim Callis' um, opinion on some of these players. You know, maybe he's not going to have a lower opinion of D Gordon. D Gordon, as I'm uh, you know recording this to you, has like a 360 average. It looks pretty good. So we are going to get Jim Callis' thoughts on some of these top prospects and what we can think about them. Them as far as drafting, trading for, trading away, and their uh, future play. And that's going to be a fun one. And then it's going to follow up with an International Prospects podcast with Eric Longenhagen from Fangraphs and Jesse Sanchez from MLB.com. I'm going to talk about some of the big guys that are coming in we're gonna talk about this international draft situation and how that's gonna affect maybe future prospecting. And I'm gonna talk about some of the guys that signed. I wanna get in, I wanna get down to brass tacks with like Kevin Maton and uh, some guys like that. We wanna, you know, Lazarito, I wanna get into him, and uh, we'll we'll talk about some of that with those guys. So be on the lookout for the next two episodes. Follow me on Twitter at is it the Welsh? Thank you again for the support. Until next time, it is the Fantasy Prospect Podcast, Podcast One.